I was a high school Rebbe for many years, and I would often get the sense from the fellows, high school uh, age yeshiva students, that, wow, if only I could be out there, if I was in public school, life would be great. I'd have such pleasures, the parties, it would be unbelievable. Listen, I'm not complaining. Hashem chose me to be amongst His nation. But wow, if I could be there, what a life it would be. I'd have so much more pleasure. I'd be so much happier. Now, for the record, if it were true, meaning if the Torah were asking us to lead an austere, barren, difficult life, go in a cave and take nothing from this world and don't be happy, it would be well worth the trade-off because we're put on this world to grow, to accomplish. We're put here for our station in the world to come. This world is passing. And even if we had to live a life of suffering, it would be worth it for the world to come because here the pleasures are passing. There they're much deeper. There it's forever. Here it's just a few short years. So if that trade-off was what the Torah was asking from us, it would be well worth it and it would be a fine decision to make. The strange part about that assumption, though, is that it's the exact opposite. Not only will a person leading a Torah lifestyle have much greater happiness, he'll enjoy much greater pleasure in this world as well. And to explain why that is, we need to focus on this concept called pleasure. And the real way to focus on it is to ask yourself that question. How much pleasure do you actually have in this world? How much do you enjoy of the things that are here, of the pleasures that exist? And I think if you're like most people, you'll quickly see that life is nice, there are moments and things, but to say that my life is replete with pleasures, with all kinds of enjoyments, you know, I mean, come on, you know, I, I like a you know, steak and maybe a, a fine beer, but, you know, I, I don't know if that's quite a description of my life. And that's very interesting because if we study the world, what we'll quickly see is that Hashem created many, many features for one purpose only. That's for us to enjoy, for us to take pleasure. And part of the question is going to be, why in fact don't we enjoy the world as we should? And to begin this exercise, let me give you a mushal, a parable. Imagine the following. Imagine a man, 35 years of age, becomes blind. He lived his whole life with sight, but suddenly he loses his sight and he's now blind, living now in total darkness. And he lives that way day after day, week after week. He begins to recreate a life for himself. He learns how to navigate. He learns how to get around. He learns how to do the things that he needs to do now in a world of total blackness. And he lives that way for 10 years. Finally, after this very long period of time, he hears about a procedure, it's experimental, but they explain to him they can reconnect his optic nerve. He may die in the process, but if the operation is successful, he'll regain his sight. He decides to undergo the operation. He goes to the hospital, they put him under anesthetic, and for 10 hours they're doing the operation, and finally he wakes up. He wakes up and he's now going to open his eyes and he's now going to know whether he's going to see or remain in a world of utter blackness. And I want you to imagine that moment with the doctors gathered at the foot of his bed, 
with his family around. The nurse peels off one bandage, then peels off a second. He opens his eyes and he sees colors, depth, shadows, faces of his family he hasn't seen in years. He looks out the window and he sees grass, he sees trees, he sees the sky. With tears in his eyes, he turns to the doctor and says, Doctor, doctor, what could I ever do to repay you for this gift you've given me, this gift of sight? That experience, that emotion of joy, elation, we are supposed to experience on a regular basis. Not once a year, not once a month, daily. We say a string of brachas in the morning, Part of the prayer service are the blessings. One of them is, thank you Hashem for the gift of sight that you've given me. And we thank Hashem for the gift of mobility, and the gift of having all of my needs taken care of. And the reality is that we enjoy so much blessing, but we don't even begin to think about it. It's almost like we're not aware of it. And the only time that we become somewhat aware of the tremendous gifts that we have, is if heaven forbid they're taken, then very quickly the complaints find their home. Hashem, why me? Of all the people on the planet, why did you choose me? But until that point, there was never a recognition of it being a bracha, never an awareness of it. And we human beings are a bit of a curious breed. We have hands with which to feel, fingers that have senses, I have sight, I have ears, I have my, my mobility. I have so much in my life, and my experiences are so rich, and it's rather strange that I never think about it. I never realize it. I never take stock as to how much it is that I should be enjoying this world, how much I could be, but we're just busy doing, and we never seem to enjoy it. And I think if you begin to focus on many of the features that Hashem created in this world, you'll quickly see that they were created for one purpose, for us to enjoy. Let me share with you an observation. One of the most pivotal questions that a human being can ask is, what did it look like the moment before creation? Right? Hashem said, Vayihi, it should be. And everything came into existence, the cosmos, a hundred billion galaxies, each containing a hundred billion stars. But there was a moment before. What was it like the moment before? And if you think about that key moment, what you'll quickly realize is the moment before creation, there was nothing. Absence of physicality, absence of matter, absence of anything. And the reason why that's so pivotal is because then you recognize that everything that Hashem brought forth had no model, had nothing that it was patterned after. Everything Hashem created, Hashem made from scratch. And when you think about that, you should start asking some penetrating questions. Why is it that Hashem made the world the way He did? Let me share with you an example. In the world we live in, there's something called color. Tremendous arrays, different gradation, hues, shades. Why did Hashem create color? You don't need color. If the world were created 
for utilitarian functional purposes, the grayscale would have functioned very well. When I was a kid growing up, TV was black and white. And you could watch the whole human drama, the entire sequence, in the shades of gray. Why didn't Hashem make the world in the shades of gray? Why did Hashem make so many colors? And there's only one answer. Because a black and white world is functional, but a world in color is beautiful. And we're supposed to see color and say it's magnificent. We're supposed to enjoy it. And if you think about that, it's rather astonishing. Microsoft Word brags now that in their color palette, you have the choice of 16 million shades of color. And if you look out at the sky, if you look out at an ocean, if you look out at the trees in the summer, you see such beautiful shades, hues, and gradations. And you're supposed to say that's magnificent. It's beautiful. And you're supposed to recognize that all of that was brought forth for our enjoyment, not for its functional use, not for something that it would accomplish, but just so that we should enjoy it. And so many things in this world were created strictly for that purpose. It was Shuas, and I try to stand up during Shachris, davening, because if you stay up the whole night, I usually manage somehow to fall asleep. So I stand during davening, Shuas morning, and one year I surprised even myself because I was standing and it seemed like I fell asleep standing. And I sort of caught myself, I was falling. And when I opened my eyes, I started laughing. Why? Because in Shul, right by the bima, was a large bouquet of flowers. And I saw the daffodils, the daisies, the petals, the, the colors. And I started laughing because it was so magnificently formed, so beautiful. And here's the question. Why are flowers so beautiful? The bee is effectively colorblind. He's attracted by the smell. He's brought to the pollen, the nectar, by the smells that are emitted by the flower. The beauty of the flowers, the colors, are created for one reason. So that we should look at it and say that's magnificent. It's beautiful. And so many things in this world... Hashem created strictly for us to enjoy. From the beauties of an ocean, and if you ever go under, and you put on a scuba mask, and you see the beautiful colors, and if you stare at a mountain, and if you look at the Grand Canyon, and you see such majesty, such beauty, you're supposed to say the words, Hashem, that's astonishing. And you're supposed to recognize that Hashem made it beautiful for us to enjoy. But it's not just sights. It's so many other things. Let's take, for example, food. Stipe Lagone makes a very important observation. He says, food has a functional purpose. Food serves our nutritional needs. By all rights, food, all food, should taste like soggy cardboard. Meaning to say, you're hungry, you'll eat it. You need it for nutrition. Yet that's not the way food tastes. There are so many different flavors, aromas, textures in food, each food with its own unique, beautiful palate full of delicious flavors. Why do that? From a functional standpoint, all food can be brown like beans and taste like potatoes, but that's not a very enjoyable world. 
And Hashem puts so much wisdom into the food that we eat to make it beautiful, to make it delicious, so that we should enjoy it. But if you focus on some of the details, sometimes you get a little bit of an eye-opening experience. I once heard Rabbi Miller Zetzal describe an orange. I remember this vividly as a child. I remember as a fourth grader sitting in class bored and I peeled the outer part of the orange and inside you have the wedges. Imagine you have 12 wedges of your orange and each wedge, if you take it apart, it's housed in a membrane. And if you very gently peel back the membrane, you see that that wedge of orange actually inside are hundreds of juice sacs. Now why is it that the juice in the orange is contained in those juice sacs. Watermelon has about as much water content, but it doesn't have that configuration. And if you'd like to know the answer to this question, just go to a supermarket and look at the children's candy where they say, bite in for a burst of flavor. You see, when you bite into the wedge of the orange, your teeth break those juice sacs and you get a burst of flavor. You see, it wasn't enough that the orange had that delicious, citrusy, tangy, sweet taste. Hashem wanted to enhance our experience. He wanted it to be more enjoyable so that when you bite in, you get the burst of flavor. And here's another observation. Fruits come in many different colors. Yellows and oranges and browns. And Why do it? Why not make them all one color? The red of an apple is very distinct from the orange of an orange, which is very distinct from the banana, which is very distinct from a mango. Why do it? Would you like to know why fruits have different colors? Go to your supermarket, and you'll find Tide in that neon orange container. You'll find Cheerios in that same yellow box for 50 years. Why? Because Procter & Gamble spent millions of dollars on research. Consumers prefer that orange color. Cheerios is in that yellow box because it has eye appeal. And if you'd like to know why the apple is red, it's because it looks beautiful. And it has an appeal to the person. It wasn't enough to have the delicious flavor. It wasn't enough to have the delivery system. Hashem wanted to make it more beautiful. But here's an interesting point. When you bite into the apple, you don't get the burst of flavor. You get a a crunch. Why do you get the crunch? So again, go to your supermarket. And you'll find 75 feet long, floor-to-ceiling, breakfast cereals, each one bragging to be crunchier than the one next to it. Ours is crunchy. Ours is crunchier. Ours is the crunchiest. We even include earplugs. You don't go deaf. Why is it that each cereal is bragging to be crunchier Then the next, the answer is quite simple. When you sit down to your bowl of Kellogg's cornflakes and you crunch, there's an enjoyment. My kids, if you put the milk in two minutes before, it's soggy, I can't drink it. You see, there's a certain enjoyment that you get when you bite into that apple. So Hashem designed the cellular walls to be brittle so that when you bite into the apple, you get that crunch and the banana is mushy, and the mango is its texture, it wasn't enough that there was a color differential. It wasn't enough that the tastes were distinct. And it wasn't enough just that the delivery system, each part of it was carefully planned, carefully made to happen. But here's one more step of observation. Let's go back to that orange for a minute. You ever notice that when you break the peel of the orange, 
there's a mist that that's emitted. And if you'll notice, that mist smells just like an orange. But if you get some of that mist on your finger and you taste it, it tastes bitter. Why is it that the mist that emits smells like the orange but tastes bitter? If you'd like to know the answer to this, just pay attention the next time you have a cold and you sit down to one of your favorite foods. What you'll find is that you really can't taste it. You see, science now tells us that most of our sense of taste comes through our sense of smell. And when you break the peel of the orange, it emits that vapor of the orange smell, so that when you breathe it in, you smell the orange, you hunger for the orange, and you wish to eat it more. It doesn't have to taste like the orange because you're not going to eat the peel, but it smells like the orange so that you'll be more hungry. Meaning to say it wasn't enough that the delivery system, wasn't enough the flavor, Hashem wanted to add one more step that when you break the peel, it should smell so you should hunger for it. Meaning Hashem micro-encapsulated tiny little scent fragrance in the peel of that orange to enhance your enjoyment of that. And if you think about the different foods that we eat and the different things that we experience, you should be astounded. A simple vegetable salad that we eat has so much going on there that we should be so distracted by it that we can't even talk. And here's the question. We live in a world replete with sights, with sounds, tastes, aromas, textures. And it's clear that Hashem designed it all for one purpose, for us to enjoy. And the question is, do we enjoy it? And I'm afraid to say that by and large the answer is no. Just speak to someone after the second bite of their favorite food. They anticipated that restaurant, they couldn't wait for the meal, and the first bite they're actually paying attention, the second bite maybe, the third maybe, by the fourth they're gone. Back to conversation, and they don't even know what they're eating or they're not eating. And the reality is that so many of the pleasures of this world are there for the taking, but we're too distracted to do it and to enjoy them. And worse than that, it almost seems like we were designed not to enjoy them, or the pleasures were designed for us not to enjoy them. And that sounds rather difficult to understand. If Hashem invested so much care, wisdom, and forethought into making these pleasures, and He made them for us to enjoy, why is it so difficult for us to enjoy? And why does it seem that Hashem purposely made it that difficult? And to explain to you what I mean, let me share with you a very interesting observation. I was at a Shabbaton for, it's called Youth at Risk, and I was speaking to these teenagers, and I was very involved, and we, I spoke for a good long time, and at a certain point, one of the fellows asked a question about drug use, and I really felt that this was out of my purview. There was a mentor there who had quite a history of his own of drug abuse, and he had come back, and he was now a mentor. So I turned over the floor to this young man, the mentor, and I asked him to answer the question, why should these fellows not use drugs? And this is what the mentor said. He said, the first time I used cocaine, it was the most pleasurable experience I ever had. There was nothing like it. Nothing in the world to compare it to. It was the most 
pleasure I ever experienced. And then, the second time that I used cocaine, I tried to match it, but it didn't work. So, the next time, I tried more, but I still didn't get to that first high. So, the next time, I tried more than that, and I still didn't get to that first high. And I kept trying more and more, but I can never match that first high. And then I tried other drugs. I tried to mix it, but I can never get there. I spent so much time, so much effort trying to get to that original high. I never did. I got addicted. I ruined my life, but I never got again that first high. And what this mentor was describing was what I call the first rule of pleasure. The first rule of pleasure is the first time is the best time, but there's only one first time. You see, the first time that you owned a house, the first time that you drove a car, maybe the first time that you really did something in your life that was a major accomplishment, that first time was the most enjoyable experience. And when you go back to that same experience a second time, it just doesn't cut it quite the same way. You had that first delicious meal, and it was incredible. And you went back to the same restaurant, the same chef. You ordered the same dish, and it tasted okay, but not quite the same as the first time. And this is what I call the first rule of pleasure. The first rule of pleasure is the first time is the best time, but there's only one first time. And after that, it's okay, it's good, but it never matches up to that first time. But strangely enough, there are other rules of pleasure that are equally difficult to understand. You ever notice that when they portray the steak, they don't show you a cooked steak. They take the steak, put it on the grill, and Why don't they just show you a cooked steak? Why don't they show you the the raw steak, and they put it on the grill, and you The answer is Madison Avenue knows very well that you sell the sizzle, not the steak. You see, there's a second rule of pleasure. You could wait for it. You can anticipate it. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. This pleasure that you're going to have is so huge. And then you sit down to the steak, and it tastes good, but nowhere near the buildup. Every single pleasure is oversold and under-delivered. And the second rule of pleasure is that it's the sizzle that they sell and not the steak. The buildup, the anticipation, it's going to be phenomenal, is much bigger than the delivered content. The pleasure is nice, it's okay, but it's not like, wow, everything you promised it would be. And strangely enough, that rule is a rule of pleasure that happens all the time. But there's a third rule of pleasure, and this one is even more interesting you ever listen to someone who describes a pleasurable experience? Wow, I had an amazing time. Whoa, it was awesome. It was incredible. Whenever someone describes a pleasurable experience, it's always in the past tense. As in, I had a great time. It was wonderful. It was incredible. And that is the third rule of pleasure. The third rule of pleasure is every pleasure, once you've had it, it's gone. And it leaves you just like you were. 
not more fulfilled, not any happier, not any richer. It just leaves you as you started. And when you begin to think about these three rules of pleasure, what you find is that they are universal. In every culture, in every situation, pleasures seem to be these amazing things. They're built up to be amazing, and they're okay, they're good, but they just never deliver. And more than that, the first time is great, but then after it's, it's okay, but never the same. And always it leaves me as I was before. And now we come to that critical key point. Why did Hashem create pleasures this way? Why is it so difficult for us to actually pay attention when we eat, when we look at sights, when we hear beautiful music? I'll explain to you something that's very profound, but very, maybe, obvious. Mesut Sharm explains to us that Hashem created pleasures for a particular reason. They're tools to be used. We were put on this planet to grow, to accomplish, and Hashem gave us various tools to better enjoy our life. When you live in a world replete with color, it's more enjoyable. When you sit down to food that's delicious, it's more enjoyable. The pleasures that Hashem created in the world were created as an add-on, an additional. You should also enjoy your life. And the only time that people get into trouble in this area is when they make the pursuit of pleasure their goal. And then they find it never helps. They pursue pleasure, hotly pursue it, and they think that once I get it, it's going to be amazing. And more than that, I'll be happy. And it leaves them as empty as they were before. Would you like to know why it is that the human being has such a difficult time being happy? Because people pursue everything but happiness in an attempt to gain happiness. They pursue pleasure. Yes, when I get this pleasure, I'm going to be happy. When I get this thing, I'm going to finally be happy. And as strange as it sounds, we all do it. We all think that way. And you could watch the human misuse pleasures all the time. And when you do, guess what happens? They don't accomplish anything. You don't even really enjoy it. You certainly don't use it for what is intended. And your intention of, I'm going to gain happiness, guess what doesn't happen? Remember last time we discussed that everyone has their list I'll be happy when. If you'll notice, there's always something at the end. I'll be happy when I make a lot of money. I'll be happy when I get that promotion. I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy when I have children. And lo and behold, they get married. And it's wonderful. It's great. But they're the same person after being married as they were before. Once I get a promotion, I'll make a lot more money. It'll be great. And they make a lot more money. And guess what? They're now where they were before. They didn't change. They didn't become a different person. And when you attempt to use pleasures to find satisfaction in life, to find fulfillment in life, to find happiness in life, well, guess what? It doesn't work. But it doesn't work not by accident. It doesn't work because that's not what pleasures were designed for. Pleasures were designed by Hashem for us to enjoy this world. And we're supposed to use them. We're supposed to use them as tools. We're supposed to use them to better enjoy this world. And what I'd like to share with my young yeshiva friends who believe that the Torah wants us to lead an austere, barren life, completely, utterly false. There are religions like that, aesthetic religions, but that's not Judaism. 
We're supposed to enjoy this world because Hashem created these things for our enjoyment. But they're tools to be used. Tools to be used to give me yeshiva das. Tools to be used because when you live a life that's enjoyable, you're more relaxed, you're better able to serve Hashem, you're better able to do what you're put on the planet to do. But you're supposed to use those tools. And tools to be used for their intended purpose. And there's another element of these tools that has an interesting effect. There's a halacha that Erev Pesach, we don't eat after a certain point. You're supposed to stop eating Erev Pesach at a certain point. Why? So that the matzah that you're going to eat at night, at the Seder, should be oven, should be eaten with an appetite. And Rashi on the mission explains why. Why did Chazal institute that you have stopped eating early on Erev Pesach? So that you should come in to eat that matzah l'te'ovon, explains Rashi, because it's a hidder mitzvah. It makes the mitzvah more beautiful, it adorns the mitzvah, therefore you should eat it with an appetite. Now, if you look at that Rashi, you may say, that's very difficult to understand. Hidder mitzvah? You mean I should eat it like, a, like an animal, with a hungry? Uh, that, that's not a, a hidder mitzvah, should be, you should be full, and you eat that matzah completely to serve Hashem, completely because it's a mitzvah. What do you mean I should be hungry and... and, and Wolf it down like a, like a hungry... That doesn't make sense. But if you look in the Rishonim, they explain to us what these concepts mean. The Sefer Achinuch explains that Chazal instituted wine by Kiddush. From a Torah's perspective, Friday night, you say the words, Shabbos is holy, Shabbos is Kaddush, and you fulfill the mitzvah. Chazal put those words on a cup of wine. Why? Because explains the Sefer Chinuch, wine is precious to a person, wine is enjoyable to a person, and when you hold up that cup of wine, it adds a dimension to your Kiddush, you become attached to it, you become more involved in it, it pulls you to that activity. And would you like to know a major function of pleasures in this world? It attaches us to different things. When you eat the matzah with an appetite, you're more attached to it. When you make Kiddush on wine and it tastes delicious, it attaches you more to that mitzvah. You're using it as a tool. You're using it as a bonding tool. It's connecting you to that. And I'd like to share with you one more observation that I believe bears being said. When a husband and wife are together, that is one of the holiest acts in creation. But it's not just an issue of having children and not just an issue of releasing desire. It's much more than that. The Ramban explains to us that it's creating a connection, a bond between husband and wife. And it's specifically the pleasure that is gotten that creates that connection. And it's very interesting to note that there is a nida time period, two weeks on, two weeks off. And when a young man first gets married, he says to himself, Oh my goodness, I waited all this time, now I finally have a wife, and now it's two weeks on, two weeks off. This is torture. This religion is oppressive. And Rabbi Meir explains one of the tamim, one of the underlying reasons for these halachas, so that once a month, a kala should come back, a wife should come back to her husband like a kala under the chuppah. You see, when there's a two-week separation period, the desire builds, there's more appetite, and when they come together, it's supposed to be again 
like he took her when she was under the chuppah, that bonding, that connection, it's a renewal to the marriage, and it's a renewal of the bonding. And when you begin studying the Torah's systems, not only is it oppressive, it was designed by our Creator to allow us the maximal joy, enjoyment, and pleasures in this world. You see, the same Creator who created me made my needs. The same Creator who made me and my needs made fulfillments to them. And the same Creator who made me, my needs, these fulfillments, and the pleasures that come with it understood exactly what my needs are, exactly what's appropriate, and designed the system to work flawlessly. And when you use the system as your Creator intended it, you have a beautiful life. Number one, you're happy because you're leading a life of meaning, of purpose. You and you are in sync. But number two, you're enjoying this world to a much greater extent because Hashem created you to give to you. Hashem wants you to enjoy your stay in this world. But pleasures have a purpose. And Hashem designed them that when you use them appropriately, you'll have the maximum enjoyment from them. You'll be using them as their tools should be. And if you don't, it looks so wonderful. Wow, I can run after my passion, run after my desire, do whatever my heart wants. I'll be so happy then. Well, number one, you're not going to be happy. Because within you, there's a voice that says, Ugh, what are you doing? But more than that, you're trying to use tools that Hashem created for a specific purpose to do a different job. When you take a surgical instrument and you use it to pry open a window, it does a lousy job and it dulls the blade. Hashem created pleasures for a particular purpose, to allow us to enjoy the activities that we're supposed to be doing, to allow us to bond to the things that we're supposed to bond to. And when you use them that way, the pleasures are maximized, you enjoy them, you live a beautiful life, a life filled with joy, happiness, and pleasure. And when you lead a life differently, well, guess what? It's not that you gain more pleasure, certainly not that you gain more happiness, quite the opposite. You have less, and it's much more difficult for you in your existence. These concepts require a lot of time, and they require a lot of focus, and it requires training to teach ourselves to actually enjoy the world as we're supposed to. But that's what it's supposed to be. We're supposed to take the time to look at the beauty of this world. And we're supposed to see from that the greatness, the giving, loving kindness of our Creator. We're supposed to recognize all of the beauty in this world Hashem created to give to us. We're supposed to enjoy it. We're supposed to recognize how much Hashem wants to benefit us. And we're supposed to live an exalted life. But you have to practice. You can't just wing it at this thing called life. You can't just wake up in the morning and say, well, the pleasures will come. You have to use the world in the way your Creator intended you to. And you have to learn how to eat. Most of us eat. Oh, I'm holy. I don't, I don't even pay attention to the flavors. That's not holy at all. That's eating like a behemoth. That's eating like an animal. And Hashem designed flavors and foods, aromas, textures. You're supposed to actually pay attention. And you're supposed to actually enjoy it. I don't eat for the flavor. I don't eat for the enjoyment. I eat because I'm supposed to. And it will give me strength, health, well-being, so that I'll be able to serve my Creator. But along the way, there are pleasures there. And I'm supposed to train myself to actually taste them 
actually enjoy them. And I'm supposed to train my eye to see the beauty in the world, to train myself to see what a sunrise is, to look at it, take it in, memorize it, take a snapshot in my mind's eye, and then the next time that I daven, I have it there, and I daven a different davening. I'm supposed to experience pleasures in this world, and I'm supposed to experience tremendous enjoyment. However, it takes work. And I want to finish with one last step. There are three types of brachas that we make. One is a bracha, brachas a mitzvah. Before you do a mitzvah, Chazal instituted that we make brachas. Before you pick up a lulav, before you blow a shofar, there's a bracha that you make that's called a brachas a mitzvah, a bracha on a mitzvah. There's also a different kind of bracha, a brachas hodah, a bracha of thanksgiving. You have a child, you have to thank Hashem, you make a blessing. You buy a new house, you make a blessing. Those are brachas hodah, brachas of thanksgiving. But there's a third category of brachas called birchas hanenin, brachas that we make when we benefit, when we eat, when we drink. Before we eat an apple, we make a haitz. Before we eat a banana, we make a hadama. Those are birchas hanenin, those are brachas that we make because we are deriving pleasure from this world. The Mishnabrura Simen Mem Vav explains that those brachas that we make in the morning as part of chakras are in the category of birchas hanenin. Those are blessings that we make because we're deriving benefit from the world. Before I open my eyes, I'm obligated to make a blessing because I'm going to benefit. I'm going to have hanah. I'm going to have pleasure. When I move my legs, I'm supposed to then recognize Hashem created me with mobility. Zokif kifufim, Hashem, you allow people to stand upright. If my, the muscles in my back are pulled, I don't stand and go to a nursing home and see what it's like to work, walk with a walker. Those brachas that we make, we're supposed to be making brachas hanenin, brachas on enjoyment, brachas on pleasures, and it's supposed to be an exercise in exactly that. I heard my Rebbe the Roshiva Sal once say that that string of brachas that we say in the morning should be said with an outpouring of emotion. It should be a musasator. When you've done them, it should be, wow, Hashem, look what you've done for me. I have hands and legs, eyes and he- ears to hear with. Look what you've done for me. And it works if you take the time, if you invest in it, if you think about it beforehand. Hashem created a custom-made world with so many things made for our enjoyment, but you have to learn how the system works. You have to understand pleasures are there to be enjoyed, but they're tools, tools to allow us to enjoy, tools to allow us to bond, and you have to train yourself how to use this world. You have to train yourself how to enjoy the things in this world. When you do, you lead a life of meaning, of purpose, you grow, and as a side benefit, you have tremendous pleasure because that's what our Creator wants for us.